Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting again, we welcome you. It really encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It's been a wonderful weekend. I'm sure there have been many things that have taken place in the lives of individuals doing good that we don't know about, and probably even the life of the congregation. But I know uh, Friday night there was a gathering of individuals here for fellowship together, and then Saturday morning early the men's breakfast gathered and and enjoyed that time of fellowship and and a wonderful speaker, and then also after that there were baskets delivered, many fruit baskets taken to individuals, let them know that we love them, that we're thinking about them, that we care for them. And then there were about 500 cups of uh, hot cocoa given uh, to individuals at the parade. The Lord talked about giving a cold cup of water in the name of Jesus. And we gave in the name of Jesus some hot chocolate and it was greatly appreciated. It's wonderful to think about the many opportunities we have to simply let people know uh, that God loves them, that we love them, and that uh, we would hope that they would grow a love for God also, a way to reach out. Uh, many, many good things, so much more than what can be mentioned is taking place this month. You're a generous group of people. God has given to us generously, and let's make sure that we continue to give to Him generously. And uh, one of the ways we do that, uh, in addition to the collection that's taken, is when we reach out and we give to those about us. And, and let's make sure that we do that in a very sacrificial way. I know many of you uh, knew Brother Pete Johnson, and today will be his memorial service. He pending to be in at 2 o'clock. And of course, his grandsons worship with us, and we love them dearly. Uh, Brother Pete preached for years at, at Lebanon Road as well as Pennington Bend, and many of you know that he directed the preacher's camp there that has touched my life in such a, a wonderful way, and I am truly indebted to him and to that congregation there and what they mean to me. And I just want to encourage you to be uh, prayerful for that family and, uh, and to be thankful for such lives as his that has truly touched the next generation in a powerful way. He really instructed, he called us preacher boys, and he really instructed, encouraged the preacher boys to give their all in serving God. And that's what we're about, is, is serving God today and hoping that we set the next generation up for a love and a passion to serve God also. When we think about loving relationships and having lasting loving relationships, it's not always as easy as it seems. I would think most of us realize that relationships can be a challenge because you see when they begin, it's exciting and we're willing to go the extra mile and we're willing to do the things that would make that relationship strong. But before long, those things grow weary, or at least they can. And before long, we begin to think about us instead of about the other. And before long, that wears on the relationship and then we find our ourselves unhappy because we're in a struggling relationship. Isn't it interesting how detrimental selfishness is to relationships? The answer to that is agape. I want you to think about parking lots that you've gone to, especially in grocery store parking lots. How many times have you gone and, and you're excited about finding a place that's close to the front door and as you go to pull in that space, you realize someone's left a buggy right in the middle and, and you either have to pass up on it or you have to stop, get out of your car, move it, and then pull your car up? And how many times have we thought to ourselves, why did that person do that? The location return that is just three places down. Why, why didn't they just go and, and do what they were supposed to do? Now, lest any of you work at other grocery stores, I just want you to know my family supports all of you. But I have to tell you that every time 
I go to Aldi, I feel a little bit of guilt for the human race. I feel a little bit like Isaiah that says, Lord, I'm a man with with, uh, unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. It's like when Isaiah saw the greatness of God, he just felt like he needed to confess his sins and all the people's sins. Let me tell you something you're never going to find at Aldi. You're never going to have to get out and move a parking, a, a cart for a parking space. Never. Now, I know there's going to be somebody who says, oh, I had to one time. That's right. It's the exception. As a rule of thumb, you won't ever see a parking, a parking lot that is covered with carts. As a matter of fact, you won't even find one cart out in the middle of the parking lot. Any of you shop there, you know why. To get a cart, you deposit a quarter into the cart. It releases the cart, you go shopping. And so therefore, if you want your quarter back, the only way you can get your quarter back is to roll it back inside the other cart, attach the other cart to it, and your quarter is released. Every time I get my quarter back, I think to myself, isn't it a shame how successful it is to do right when you pay people a quarter. That's a shame. That is the society we live in. Hey, if there's a quarter at stake, I'll consider doing the right thing. I'll consider walking back across four parking spaces and returning the cart where it should go. Hey, if there's not a quarter involved, you'll just have to see what day you catch me on. If it's a bright, beautiful, sunshiny day and I was thinking about taking a walk anyway, I might return it and do the right thing. But if not, oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not going to do it if, if not. How do you view your responsibility to do the right thing? I'd like for you to think about love. And we, of course, with the English word love coming out of the original Greek language, we have various Greek words and forms of these words. But let me quickly give you a reminder of what a few of these are. Eros is is that love that is romantic love. And when we look at storge, storge is, is a lot of family love. It deals with blood is thicker than water. It's where maybe a family's arguing with each other, but then somebody else comes on the scene that's outside the family, and then those two family members stand together and fight the one that's come. Storge, it's, it's uh, somewhat of a natural type of love where there's a strong loyalty there. And then there's filio or filius. And this love is one that, that deals especially not... It's not this simple or this clean cut, but for today's lesson, it has a lot to do with a warmth, what we think of a friendship, where we literally say, I enjoy being around those people. It's the same kind, it is the same word that whenever the Lord talked about those individuals, they were hypocrites, he called them, that loved to stand out on the corner and they wanted to say their prayers to be heard of men. It says they loved to pray that way. This is it. In other words, it was a warm emotional feeling. Oh, I love it when everybody's watching me do good. It's that warm emotional feeling. Notice, it's not a good standard of what's right and wrong. It's the very same thing when later in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, he talked about the Pharisees that loved to have the higher seats. And the word love there again, is that what we think about that warm emotional feeling? But I'm not suggesting to you it's always wrong. When we think of friendships and we say, oh, I love being around that particular person. We're saying, I really enjoy being around them. I have a warm emotional feeling when I'm around them. But that doesn't govern what is right and wrong. 
Agape, as we see here on the screen for today's lesson, I decided to just kind of describe it to you this way. It's a holy love. In other words, agape is something that we would never do consistently. We'd never do it from the pure motive ever unless God teaches us how to do it. Agape deals more with a decision and a commitment to do what is right and best, no matter. To define this, I'd like to, for you to look, if you've got your Bible still open to the text, flip over a couple pages to John, the 15th chapter. In John, the 15th chapter, if you will, look with me in verse 19, and let's see this filio here. In John 15 and 19, he says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Now notice that. Yet because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world would quickly love its own. In other words, that warm emotional feeling where the world puts our arm around each other and says, hey, we're buddies. But yet if there's ever a need, I would kind of neglect you. I might even stab you in the back. I might not treat you the same way tomorrow because I might not feel good tomorrow. I might not have an emotional warmth tomorrow. We oftentimes call that fair weather friends where we see someone treats us one way one day, an entirely different way another day. Well, what are we looking at? We're looking at the type of love that the world lives by on a daily basis. It's where we are emotion-driven, where it's about satisfying me. I don't need to be polite to that clerk today that's checking me out because I don't feel good. That is a mindset that comes with the fleshly nature. But now notice this other love that's agape. And if you want to turn to 1 John, the fourth chapter, notice as we read 1 John, the fourth chapter in 7 and 8, and, and we'll see the word agape in here. He says, 1 John 4 and 7, Beloved, let us love one another. Let's pause there. He's giving a command. I want you to love one another. Where did that come from? You remember the first and second greatest commandment? The first was dealing with agape toward God. Uh, where he says that you should love uh, the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the love there is agape. Now think about this. We make a decision. We make a commitment. I'm going to do what's right and best in my relationship with God. In other words, I'll sacrifice self-will for God's will. And I'm going to do that with all of my being. But then notice the second is likened to it. The second greatest commandment. I'm going to love, I'm going to practice agape toward other people just as I would toward myself. So I'm going to make a decision to do what is right and best toward other people. <clears throat> so notice, he gives that command at the beginning of 7, 1 John 4 and 7, let us love one another. That's the command. But then we say, where did this come from? Look at the rest. For love is of God. Where's the resource for this? I beg you this morning, Put aside the thinking that says, well, I've just come from a good family. That's the way, that's why I am the way I am. Because it's probably holding you down from being what you really ought to be. Maybe you say, well, you know, I've just been such a friendly person so long. I really don't have to work on topics like we're studying this morning. I beg you to put that away because what I'm, I'm hoping we're believing from these passages that we're studying is that we do not ever naturally have this kind of love. Notice again as he says, for love is of God. It's only when we learn of God that we consistently practice agape. You see, someone says, no, 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 I see people out in the world be nice to each other. 
But oftentimes they're doing that from a motive that says, I've just noticed when I'm nice to people, they're nice in return to me, and I like that. I've noticed that when I'm hospitable to someone, they're hospitable back to me, and, and we share in that friendship. You see, a lot of that can be based on the philia, which is fine, but it is not the standard of righteousness. Who teaches us to do the right thing all the time, unconditionally, sacrificially, no matter what? That kind of love is of God. Let's read the rest of this as it continues to drive home that same point. 1 John 4 and 7, beloved, let us love one another. That's the command. Where did it come from? For love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We're studying one of the characteristics of God. A God who's made a decision to do what's right and best for mankind no matter what. Now, as we think about that, where did that come from? It's from the people that are born of God. It's from the people that know God. The world does not practice this love, not consistently, not from a pure motive. And so what is that love? We had the beginning of John the 13th chapter read to us so capably just a few minutes ago in our text. I want to remind you because we do not have time to develop this story this morning as, as typically I really enjoy preaching the most of going to a story and just heavily developing it. We won't have time to do that this morning for, for kind of a different style of lesson in the sense that we want an object lesson this morning or really objects uh, to serve as the lesson this morning. How is it that I can picture love? You may know this story well, and if not, I encourage you to go home and study this story this afternoon. It's John the 13th chapter where it was the night that Jesus would be arrested. Tomorrow he would be crucified. And he decided that evening, of course, to celebrate the Passover with the disciples. And then after that, he instituted the Lord's Supper that we participated in now almost 2,000 years later. It was also in that night that he had powerful teachings that he gave them, like about the vine and the branches and several other things. But it was also in this setting that he washes their feet. And it's also in this setting that he will leave that upper room and he'll go and he'll pray to let this cup pass from me. But then he'll say, not my will, but thy will. You see, it was love. It was agape. Lord, I want to do the right thing. So no matter what my will is, I'll let your will trump my will. Let your will be done. And then he went to give himself over. Notice no one took his life because it was a gift of love. He was doing the right thing. He was giving his life for mankind. And he was crucified the next day. With that in mind... What can we learn? What do we need to envision? The first thing I'd suggest to you that we need to envision as we understand love is that we need to envision a finish line. Uh, Many of you NASCAR fans, you want your uh, car to drive under this flag first because this is a finish line flag. Go back, if you will, to your text there and notice in the 13th chapter in verse 1 again where he says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come, he should depart from the world of the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And the very next verse even mentions Judas. And so even though he knew that, that there were going to be those among him that would betray him. There'd be those that would forsake him. He said all of his apostles were going to do that. There'd even be one that would deny him three times before the rooster crowed in the morning. He still loved them to the end. When we look at the definition of love in the Bible, 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter 4 through 8, we see that verse 8, the very first part of verse 8 says, Love never fails. We may fail agape. 
But agape never fails us. There is no such thing as a strained parent-child relationship unless one of them has failed to agape the other. There's no such thing as a marriage, it's ending, where both of them agape each other. There's no such thing as co-workers that are at strife with each other unless one of them, at least one of them, has stopped practicing agape. Agape never fails. In other words, we never find ourselves being the person that has injured a relationship and then saying, I tell you what, I practice agape and God really let me down this time. I've made a decision to do what was right and best no matter what, and that really destroyed my relationship. Agape does not destroy relationships. Agape never fails. The question is, will we fail agape? Will we finish? Will we be able to breathe our last breath and say, agape was the standard of my life? But as we read on, notice as we go to John the 13th chapter in verse 3, and notice... I love this setup. It's obvious that the reason John includes this at this particular point was that he wanted to show the extreme here of what would be our fleshly thinking. Did you notice again there in verse 3 where he says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he's going to God. Do you see what he's saying? Just a reminder here from John, Jesus knew, knew who he was. God had given all power into his hands. He knew that he was God on earth. He knew that he was from heaven. He knew that he was about to soon ascend and go back to heaven. But it was with all of this knowledge that Jesus decided to be the one to start. He decided to be the one to initiate righteousness. And notice verse 4. He rose from the supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Now, some of you would know at a glance what this is. This is a starter off an automobile. And when you uh, turn the ignition of your car with a key, uh, immediately the starter should uh, engage. And when it engages, it turns your engine. Sometime when we hear just click, click, it's because the starter is not doing its work. It could be a dead battery or it could be that something's wrong with the starter. Here he teaches us that Jesus was the one that initiated the righteous act that night. Who was going to be the one that says, hey, our tradition is that that we have clean feet whenever we're inside homes. Our tradition is that a servant would take and wash everyone's feet. But there has been no servant in this upper room to do that. Who's going to initiate it? Of all people, it was Jesus Christ. He was the one that would serve as head of the Passover. He was the one that would initiate the Lord's Supper. He was the one that was no doubt the greatest, not only in that room, but the greatest on earth. But yet, he was the one that said, I will start doing the right thing without anybody else initiating that. Look again to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, and I'd like for you to scan with me the first three verses. Do you notice that in verse 1, he's talking about using the spiritual gifts and the example because of 1 Corinthians 12 is speaking in tongues. And he makes the point that if you could speak in tongues of men or of angels, but you did not have love, and that's agape, if you were using your spiritual gift, now notice this, but you did not start using that gift, 
In other words, your motive for using that gift was not agape. I am committed to do what is right and best. If that's not the motive, the Lord says, for you it's worth nothing. And then in verse 2, he talks about if we're going to have understanding, if we're going to be able to prophesy, if we're going to have great faith. But he says, if you do not have love, it is worth nothing. What's your faith worth? The Lord says if it is not being driven, if it is not being started by the motive of love, where I say my greatest motive is to do what's right and best. And then he uses the next illustration that's amazing. What if you gave everything you had to the poor? And what if you even said to your own body, I will give my body to be burned? And someone say, well, that have to be a righteous person. And the Lord says, no. If they didn't do that from the motive of love, if that is what, not what started that action, he says, for that person, it's worth absolutely zero. Friends, I know not all of us by nature are self-starters. God makes us with different personalities and different strengths. But I need to recognize no matter what personality God has made me, I am responsible to start doing the right thing no matter what. When nobody else walking across the parking lot, and I'm really giving you this more as an illustration. This isn't my strong conviction in life, all right? But to illustrate with what we started with this morning, when you're walking across the parking lot at Kroger, at Publix, or wherever you shop, and nobody else is getting the cart out of the way of the drivers, will you do it simply because it's the right thing to do? Who's going to start it? Or how many times have we been asked maybe to participate in a ministry and we say, well, who else is doing it? Really, why does that matter? If it is the right thing to do, why is it my heart, the kind of heart that says, if it's right, I absolutely want to do it. I I want to start, I want to initiate righteousness in the workplace, whether anybody follows or not. I want to initiate righteousness at school, whether anybody follows or not. In my family, in my marriage, in, in, in uh, extended family, no matter what others do, I want to do the right thing. I want to be the one that starts it. But now notice also, if we look at verse 4, which we just did, that he rose from supper and he took a towel and he girded himself. And then notice, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. This is powerful as we think about the power of the servant's towel. That was considered a part of a servant's garment. I know that may seem strange to us today, but it was their tradition. It was, it was just a part of their customs or their culture, you might say. And, and so I want you to imagine, Jesus wanted to make sure that everyone was clear that he was ready to work. And it wasn't just any kind of work. It was a work that says... I'm ready to serve you. And it wasn't just any kind of work that he was serving them with. It was considered some of the most humble and lowly work that it is. I don't know how the word work strikes you. I don't know if you hear that and you think negative thoughts or if you think positive and productive thoughts. But the bottom line is agape is about a servant's heart that says, not only am I ready to work, 
I'm ready to work to help others' lives be better. I'm willing to work to help others' lives be better even if I have to do the most humble task that there are. God wants us to be willing to serve others. And there's not anybody here that's too good to do any task. God gives us various abilities and with that responsibilities as the opportunities come. But our heart, when we think about what does agape look like? Agape looks like a servant's towel. What will you do for your spouse? Because you're willing to humbly serve them. Parents, what will you do for your children because you're willing to humbly serve them? Children, what will you do for your parents because you're willing to humbly serve them? The servant's towel is a good picture of what our agape ought to be. But notice as you skip down to the 13th chapter in verse 6, we see that, that this love... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let's... Well, for time's sake, we better skip on. All right, let's look at John, the 13th chapter, verse 6. Let's look at agape, and this time I want you to think about it from a different standpoint. We're going to come up with another picture here. Notice what he says in John 13 and 6. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered, said, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. If you skip down into the 21st chapter and verse um, Uh, In the 21st verse, you'll notice that he even says, there's one here that's going to betray me. And then he identifies in 26 and 27 that that's Judas. If you skip down to the very last verse of the chapter, you notice in 37, the last few verses, that he even identifies Peter. And in 38, Peter is, is making his plea that I'll not deny you. I'd lay down my life for you. In 38, he says, no, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. What's the point? The point is, Jesus is going around washing feet. He's willing to do this to the end. He's starting it when no one else would. And it was a very humble task. And he was willing to do it unconditionally. It didn't matter if he got to the point of the table where it was Judas. Somebody said, why would he wash Judas' feet? Judas is about to go out and betray him. He was doing it unconditionally. He got to Peter. Why would he wash Peter's feet? Peter's going to go out that night and curse and swear saying that he is not one of Jesus and that he doesn't know him. It was unconditional. I want you this morning to think about how easy it is to go through life and just mirror the people about you. I want you to imagine that you're in, in front of a, a retail a clerk that is having a bad day and you step up and for whatever reason they decide to take it out on you. Are you a mirror? Oh, you can be rude to me? I can be rude to you. Your spouse, for no reason, accuses you of of something or talks negative about you. Are you going to change your tone? Are you going to return to them what they just gave you? Your child gets angry and screams at you. Are you going to begin screaming back? A co-worker stabs you in the back. Are you going to stab them in the back? You see, that's giving the power of our life over to everybody else. Everybody else is empowered. Uh, We have given our power to them and we are not empowered. God says, I want you to be empowered. I want you to be empowered by the love of God. It is unconditional. It takes that mirror and it turns it around and says, my actions and my reactions will not be based upon other people. 
My actions and my reactions are going to be based upon the love of God. I'll do what's right and best. I'll wash Judas's feet. I'll wash Peter's feet. I'm going to do what's right and best simply because it is the will of God. But then finally, you know, as we go to the 13th chapter, look at verse 34 and 35, and I'd like for us to think about sacrifice. He says, a new commandment that I give to you, that you'll love one another as I've loved you, that you also will love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. What does he mean when he says a new commandment that I'll give? And, and we think that in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, we had the example of, of loving your neighbor. So how could he say it's a new commandment? Jesus has already referred to the second greatest command, love thy neighbor as thyself. As thyself was the standard. What made this new? He didn't say here, love thy neighbor as thyself. He wants us to love others as he has loved as he has loved us. The bar is raised tremendously. What had Jesus done that night? He'd already washed their feet with a towel, but he was on his way to being crucified. Sacrifice. He was willing to give up everything for the good of the kingdom. He was willing to serve others even when it cost him Dearly, friends, it definitely takes a heart of generosity to practice agape. A heart that says, I don't mind paying it out on a regular basis. I don't mind being the person that is always giving. In other words, are you ready to give 100% and you may not get 100% back? That's what agape does. A picture of agape. A picture of agape hopefully will end where we began today. And that is with a finish line of faithfulness. Where we have gone through our life initiating righteousness. A decision to do what's right and best. Where we've gone through life serving others unconditionally, sacrificially. This morning, did you notice that he said, and by this, may all men know that ye are my disciples? You see that in John 13? Back in May, our building was broken into. And when the police officers came to lift fingerprints, they took some of the evidence with them to lift the fingerprints, and they called and asked us to retrieve the things uh, after they did that. This is a little envelope box that I just haven't opened the evidence bag yet, but this is evidence. The fingerprints that are on this box, they're run now on a quarterly basis through the Tennessee system. If whoever committed this crime is arrested and identified in another crime, we will find out one of these days because of evidence. Jesus says that only His people practice agape. The world doesn't do it. And He says by that, people will know 
that you are my disciples. This morning, do you have the evidence proven in your life that you practice agape, that you're born of God? Your relationships ought to show it, ought to exemplify it because you're doing your part. You can't live the other person's life, but that's what makes it unconditional. You can do your part no matter what they do. You can sacrifice no matter what they do. You can serve no matter what they do. You can say, I'm going to start doing right no matter what they do, and that will be the way that I'll go to the grave. And I'll live with a loving God forever. This morning, if you're not a child of God, if you've never lived a life that is structured and motivated by agape, what a blessing. It's taking the power from God and empowering your life instead of allowing everybody else to empower your life. If you've never been baptized into Christ, or if you have and you've strayed and you want to return, think about the first and greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart. What is right and best for you to do this morning? If we can help you, come as we stand, as we sing.